Okay. All right, good morning and happy Sabbath again, everyone. I asked my brother-in-law, Dave, to come and help me out this morning, and we're going to sing a song for you called Celebrate. I know it's after Christmas, but this is a... Our Christmas song. I love the children's story. It was about the greatest songwriter of all time. And uh, sometimes I like to write songs just because my name's also David, but <clears throat> thanks for having me. was foretold that there'd come a mighty king prince of peace son of man born today in Bethlehem and he will teach a plan of love taught to him from up above now there's hope for all mankind today and that's the reason why we celebrate the birth of Christ the Holy One birth of Christ God's own Son came to pass that as he grew he healed the sick and sinners too so full of love and joy and grace he wants his children to be saved and yes he's still alive today and he still loves us all the same and now we all have been set free by him and we don't have to be kept here in sin he'll take us home for eternity and there we'll live with you and me We'll 
praise Him forevermore. And now there's hope for all mankind today. And that's the reason why we celebrate the birth of Christ, the Holy One, the birth of Christ, God's own Son. Now we all have been set free by Him, and we don't have to be kept here in sin. He'll take us home for eternity, and there we'll live with you and me. today is found in Philippians 4, 5 through 7, and it says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. You ever tried to figure out the answers to life? It can be quite frustrating and trying and sometimes depressing and can be quite difficult if you're looking for the answers in the wrong place. And it doesn't matter how old you are or where you are in your experience, you go through different periods of time in your life and in your understanding of things and uh, we just thought with the brink of the new year just around the corner that it would be good to go into the new year knowing what the answer is and I can't think of a better explanation than the one you're going to hear this morning. The uh, sermon title reminds me of something I've seen before. The answer is prayer. I believe that's uh, a title for a book that you wrote. How long ago did you write that book? I don't know. You don't know? Well, maybe you do know why you chose the title you did. 
I think I had had an overdose of uh, watching uh, people's interest in answers to prayer. And uh, it gives the impression that uh, that's the primary purpose of prayer is to get answers. So I wanted to emphasize that uh, the answer is prayer instead of just getting answers to prayer. Being able to pray at all is, and know that God hears and is interested is worthwhile regardless of... Praying for communication, praying for communion with God, for relationship. That puts me in mind of something that C.S. Lewis wrote in which he said that um, prayer is primarily communion with God knowing that we have the ear of the Almighty. He said the fact that he answers prayer is incidental and not necessarily the most important part of what prayer is all about. Well, that's the point. But in the process, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I, uh, I think that answers to prayer can be very meaningful. I remember when our house was on fire in Glendale, the uh, brush fire had come over the hills and the house next door to us was burned to the ground. Three houses behind us burned to the ground. The house across the street burned to the ground. And uh, when I left the area, our house uh, roof was on fire. And you remember when I finally found you and mother down with the crowds that had evacuated, you and your sister came up to me and said, um, our house won't burn down, Dad. Uh, we prayed to Jesus, and he won't let our house burn down. And it was already burning when you it left? It was already burning, and uh, this panicked me out. I think you'd been, as I recall, you were panicked out even sooner than that, because what was it that you rescued from the house? Uh, instead of rescuing <laughs> valuable papers, I took some coat hangers. <laughs> So the house was burning when you left, and we were praying. Apparently, Lynn and I were confident that there would be no problem with our house. We went back up in there late that night to uh, see our house burn down, and it was still standing. We found out the miracle of how it happened, and it was really something. Uh, as a result of that whole experience, we got a new roof, which we badly needed anyway. We uh, got uh, the house repainted inside and out, and we got new carpet, and we ended up hoping for another fire. (laughs) (laughs) So there was some answers to prayer. Yes. I I have observed that um, often children seem to have answered prayer that... uh, they have more of those kind of stories than adults. Is it because they are more quick to run to God and to trust him explicitly? I, I don't know the answer. Well, he said, unless we become like little children. I don't think there's anything wrong about that. Let's have more children around. Amen. Your story put me in mind of another story in which we prayed. Um, I guess this one took place when I was a sophomore in college. You remember that little old English sheepdog that we had, that little puppy, black and white shaggy dog? I think his name was Chauncey. 
cutest little thing with a pink tongue and fluffy, lovable. You remember he was sleeping in the sun in our driveway there on Cold Springs Road at Angwin. And uh, the people who lived in the apartment that was at the other side of our property and, and which was serviced by the same driveway that we had, had a guest that came barreling down the driveway in a pickup truck and uh, before Chauncey even knew what had hit him, ran over him as they came in. I remember I was in the kitchen looking out the window and I saw the truck go over him. I heard one yelp and then I saw his little black fluffy fur darting from, from where he was into the carport. Ran out. I remember shouting, Chauncey's been run over. And we went out there, and you were right on my tail. We came into the garage there, and Chauncey was lying there dead on the floor. And I remember um, getting choked up as I looked at the little body there, thinking how innocent animals suffer in a world of sin, too. Mom and Luann and Lynn came out. We all stood in a circle and cried. Finally, Mom and the girls went back in the house, and you said, maybe we better go dig a, a grave. So we went out into the garden and uh, dug a grave. Remember we put Chauncey's body in a gunny sack and laid it there in the bottom of the grave. And all the while we're digging, I'm thinking to myself, do we dare pray and ask for resurrection? Oh, I'd love to pray and ask for resurrection. But I knew in my heart that I didn't believe that if we were to ask for resurrection for Chauncey, I didn't believe it would happen. And so in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, what good is it for me to pray? Because the Bible says, whatsoever you ask believing, you'll receive. And since I knew I didn't believe that it would actually happen, I figured I'm going to be the reason it can't answer because I don't believe it. So, you know, it's sort of I'm going to catch 22. I can't win. I, I don't believe. So Jesus isn't going to bring him back. If only I could believe he'd come back to life. And I was struggling with that in my mind, that tension. And... Um, Finally, I, I blurted out to you, Dad, do you think that it would be okay to ask Jesus to bring him back to life? I fully expected you to give me some kind of a, um, explanation like, well, Lee, you know, he will be okay and maybe he'll come to life at the uh, resurrection of us all or so I thought you might say something like that and you startled me by saying no I think that would be a great idea let's pray I thought well maybe I can get in on your faith (laughs) (laughs) hang on your coattails and maybe we'll get across on this thing and uh, you said why don't you go first (laughs) so I prayed and I remember in my prayer Telling God, I, I know I don't believe. Please don't let my unbelief keep me from, um, you know, prevent this, this thing from being done. And then I asked him to bring him back to life. And you followed with your prayer. And your prayer is something I've never forgotten. You said in your prayer... Lord, we want to ask that Chauncey come back to life because we understand that it's always okay to ask. And then you said, 
And we're thankful that believing really is just another word for trusting you. And that whatever we ask, when we trust you, we can know we will receive. Because you will never let us down. And the end of the story has yet to be written. So we trust you with Chauncey. And we ask that he come back to life. And, and you said amen. While you were praying that, I opened my eyes to see if he was stirring. He didn't stir, and I felt uh, sick inside. And Then you surprised me once more, and you said, why don't we give the angels a little more time? We'll wait till tomorrow morning to bury him. The next morning, you slipped out before dawn and covered him. But I've never forgotten. It's always okay to ask. And God is trustworthy. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what you have to share with us as we talk about prayer being the answer. Prayer is the one thing that makes all the difference between the Christian faith and all other world religions. It is unique to the Christian faith. Believing that we can communicate with our maker, that we can talk to him, that is the big difference. No wonder Jesus said in Luke 18 verse 1 that we ought always to pray and not to lose heart or not to faint. He is interested in us praying and he is interested in the relationship that results. But it's very important that we understand different kinds of prayer. There are at least four prayers that are unconditional. And there are probably four prayers that are conditional. And if we don't have it straight, we can end up confused misunderstanding and uh, discouragement. For instance, uh, the prophet Isaiah told us that if we <clears throat> had sins and iniquities, our prayers would not be heard. And uh, the psalmist told us the same thing. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Well, if I'm trying to seek God as a friend and trying to seek him as a solution to my sinful life, He'd better hear me, or I'm at a dead-end street. So um, if I understand what those verses are talking about, then I can get it straight. Those verses are talking about special requests for special blessings. And it's true that those are conditional. But the sinner seeking God is always heard. It makes no difference who I am, where I've come from, what I've done. Any sinner who seeks God is always, always heard. That is one of the unconditional prayers. So the devotional prayers are unconditional. Psalms 34, verse 4 Gives us a clue. I sought the Lord and he heard me 
and deliver me from all my fears. We can seek God and know that he hears. Another kind of prayer that is unconditional is a prayer of repentance and confession. Psalm 51 talks about this. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. And it continues. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. This great uh, prayer of repentance by David gives us a sample, the kind of prayer that is always heard from a poor sinner's heart. Another prayer that is unconditional is a prayer of thanksgiving and praise. God loves to hear those kinds of prayers. Revelation 5 verse 12 is a sample how the angels even pray, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then we have another unconditional prayer, which is one of God's favorite prayers, intercessory prayer. This is where we intercede in behalf of someone else and pray for them. Moses did this in Exodus, the 32nd chapter, verses 31 and 32. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for them gods of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of thy book which you have written. This is a tremendous echo of Calvary long before Calvary came. Someone being willing to die and give up their eternal destiny in behalf of someone else. And uh, this moved God's heart deeply out there in the desert. And he spared the people. So this is one of God's favorite kinds of prayers. Now let's look at conditional prayers. First of all, prayers of request. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 Now, this is the confidence that we have, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Well, that sounds rather unconditional, but uh, the Bible makes it clear that uh, there is still some condition in terms of prayers of request, special requests. Jesus healed a blind man, as told in John the ninth chapter. And in his dialogue with the Pharisaical leaders afterwards, he said to them, we know that God does not hear sinners. And he was saying something that is true. Here, we're talking about uh, healing. If I go to God and pray for healing, God does not hear sinners. This is a special request that is conditional upon a relationship with him and seeking him. A prayer for guidance is also a request prayer. Psalm 32, verse 8, 
We are told that I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. This is a promise. But uh, the devil can guide us if we don't have a relationship with God. And uh, God is not going to force his guidance upon us if we're not seeking him. So this is a conditional prayer. And it's very important that we have a relationship with him so we are not misled. Here's an interesting kind of prayer, arguing with God. Some of the great people in the Bible have argued with God. Joel 2, verse 17. Spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach, that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? In other words, God's reputation is at stake. And uh, we are indi- it's indicated that we can argue with him concerning this. In fact, there are a number of arguments that we can have in terms of uh, prayer with God. Because of what we already know about him, we can present him with great mighty reasons why he should answer the prayer. For example, the cross The argument of the cross is a mighty argument to present to God, showing that he has reason to answer our prayers. Here's another one. But you have promised. You have promised. You know, um, if I uh, talk to my kids and they want to know when we're going to do such and such, and I say, well, I'm not sure we can, they say, but you promised. But you promised. And when they said that to me, I knew I was finished. We can go to God and we can say, but you promised. Here's an argument. You've done it for others. Why can't you do it for me? It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he can do for me. You've done it for me before in the past. Why can't you do it now? An argument that we can present to God. You have invited us to ask. So I'm coming and asking you a great argument based upon what he has already told us. I'm praying not for myself. This gets through to God in a great way because it's into intercessory prayer again. I'm praying for someone else. I'm not praying for myself. And God loves to hear that kind of prayer. And we can pray Like Jacob did. I won't let you go unless you bless me. And uh, with that reminder. And how Jesus did bless him. We can approach God. We can even use the James argument. You remember where James said. If someone uh, poor and needy comes into the church. Well you don't tell him just be warm and filled. You put your money where your mouth is. And you uh, help him to eat and uh, to receive what he needs. Well, why would God tell us to do that if he wasn't willing to put his money where his mouth is? And so we can give him the James argument. There are great, mighty reasons why we can go and even argue with God. And then there's another interesting prayer we call dialogue prayer. Such as Abraham talking with God and God talking with him, literally. Moses experienced dialogue prayer. 
And Jacob, when he was wrestling with the angel. There are some mighty godly people who have experienced dialogue prayer. It is one of the most rare of prayers. But it is uh, real and it has happened according to scripture. Now there are two or three things that uh, might be helpful. And that has to do with, uh, for instance, prayer and fasting. I remember when I was a kid in New York City about 1939. The king of Romania was going to kill all the Adventists by a certain date. And our leaders of our church asked us for, for fasting and prayer that God would do something. I can remember fasting and uh, being terribly hungry as a kid. But I joined the rest of them in fasting. And the king of Romania died the night before his decree was to be carried out. And I was happy that I had had a part in him being taken care of. (laughs) But many times we misunderstand fasting. And uh, so uh, let's notice that uh, according to Mark 9, verse 29, he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. This was after the Mount of Transfiguration experience. The disciples had been unable to cast out the devil. And Jesus came down and he cast the devil out. And then the disciples said, Uh, Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said, this doesn't happen except by prayer and fasting. Well, as far as we know, Jesus hadn't been fasting. So what did he mean? And here we come face to face with uh, an attitude of fasting. It is possible to have an attitude of fasting whether we are fasting or not. How does that work out? That means that if I am faced with a decision of whether to eat or whether to have time for prayer, I always know which choice I'll make. I will take the prayer and go without the eating. This is an attitude of fasting, which means that I am more concerned with a relationship with God as my priority than I am with eating. And you can have that kind of attitude of fasting all the time if Jesus is your top priority. Another thing that people struggle with is prayer and cherished sin. Psalm 66, 18 again. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Well, this sounds like uh, there's not much chance. That if we have some sin that we like and we continue in it, that we're not going to be heard. But uh, this leaves the disciples out. Because the disciples had a relationship with Jesus. And they also had sin in their lives. It was continuing known sin. They knew it was wrong and they continued to do it. That sounded like cherished sin to me. It was pride. According to God's priority, one of the worst sins, if not the worst sin. And uh, so uh, God continued to go with them. Jesus did not abandon them. He didn't tell me what's wrong with you. Tell them what's wrong with you. Give me another 12. I'm going to start over. He simply continued to uh, walk with them and to eat with them, to work with them, to travel with them. 
And this leaves you with this conclusion. It is possible to have a relationship with God and to have a known sin in your life at the same time. This is a hard one for some of us to take. I have had people read it or hear it on tapes and call me up long distance and really let me have it and get after me. <clears throat> Don't you teach that uh, people who have sin in their life can be heard. But it's true. And it's based upon Jesus' closest followers. It is possible to have a sin in your life and to have a relationship with God at the same, same time. But here is a very important principle. Sooner or later, one of these is going to go. And if that's true, then it's very encouraging. That means that if I continue my relationship with God, that sin is going to go sooner or later. But if I don't want the sin to go, so I scrap my relationship in favor of the sin, now we're into the real cherished sin. Where I choose the sin over relationship with God. That's the dangerous kind. And Judas became a victim of that kind. He was smart, probably smarter than the rest of them. And he got the idea that if I continue this relationship with God and being close with Jesus... My sin is going to go. I don't want it to go. So he scrapped the relationship. That is what cherished sin is. And there's one final thing here that um, I think is very important. We uh, have probably experienced it all at one time or another. That things can get worse when we pray than they do when we don't pray. This has been a real mystery to some people. I even had a student in college one time tell me the opposite. He said, uh, I quit being a Christian two weeks ago and I haven't even sinned since. <laughs> he did a lot better without prayer. Then we come in with our prayer and we, we do worse. And this becomes a problem. And we need to understand what's going on. Studying the book of Job is a solution to this question. And this is the way it works. <clears throat> the devil sees me praying and seeking a relationship with God. And he wants to prove to God that I'm only doing it for selfish reasons. So he gets permission from God to come at me with all of his guns firing and to cause me to fall and fail. And then I give up the relationship. I stop seeking God and this proves that the devil was right. But if the devil comes to me and tries hard to prove that I am only seeking God for selfish reasons and causes me to fall and fail, but I keep right on seeking God regardless, then this proves that God is right, that I still love God and still want to worship him and serve him. And uh, once this has been proven, then God can tell the devil to get lost, like he did in the case of Job. Let me illustrate. Suppose that my son is a teenager, and um, I have been noticing a growing distance between us, and I'm worried about it. But one day I'm about to take a trip. He comes to me and says, Dad, uh, you're going on a trip. Can I go with you? And I say to myself, wow, my kid still loves me. So we start on the trip, and not long after we begin, 
He says, Dad, uh, yeah, I, there's something I need. What is it? I need a new Honda. And I have a sinking spell as I realize that the reason he wanted to go on this trip so he could get a new Honda, I say, uh, we don't have money for a new Honda, but I want one. And then it gets quiet, and he looks out the window that way. I look out the window this way. After the long trip, I get back. He goes to bed, and I can't, I can't even go to sleep because, uh, no, he doesn't like me after all. Let's change the story. <clears throat> I'm going to take a trip. My boy comes to me and says, uh, can I go along? Yes. So we start on the trip. He doesn't ask for anything. We talk. He shares with me. I share with him. We have a wonderful time. We talk as we go on the trip. It's a short trip. <clears throat> time goes fast. I get home that night. He gives me a hug and says, thanks, Dad. It was wonderful to be with you. He goes to bed. I go into my wife and I say, I can't believe it. <laughs> my son still likes me. I wonder if he could use a new Honda. <clears throat> Sure, that's the way it works. That's the way it worked with Job. And so let's never get discouraged if things go worse when we pray because there's a great controversy going on and we can be an answer on God's side to that great controversy.
Dear Lord, thank you for the mighty privilege of prayer. Help us to experience it more and more because you promised to manifest yourself to us. In your name, amen.